Well, g'day everyone. Welcome back to the Extras. I'm Sam. And I'm Mike. And uh, it's good to be back with you for another week, Mike. Another week, mate. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a big week, a big weekend. Talking testing last night at church yesterday through the day. Tell Genesis, us all about it. Yeah, Genesis 22. It, it kind of messed with my head as I was preparing it all throughout last week. Um, God tests Abraham with this horrific test. Um, to see whether Abraham really trusts, fears God, whether he would withhold anything from God. Um, amazingly, Abraham passes that test. The Lord provides a substitute and the Lord provides um, a restating of the covenant that God now knows for certain that Abraham is the man through whom God will bless the whole world. Okay, so there's, there's testing and then there's a, a, a reaffirmation of the blessing. That's it. Yeah, Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, we've got, we got a bunch of questions. We didn't get to do a live question time last night, so we're going to try and uh, capture up everything that came in. And, and, and the phone was running hot. So uh, <laughs> There's a lot of questions here. <laughs> yeah. Strap yourselves in, That's folks. right. The, the, uh, our, our show notes here just go over the page and then over the page and it just keeps going. So here we go. Uh, let's dive in on testing. Um, we'll start off with um, the difference, perhaps, between being tempted and being tested. Um we were talking in this language of testing last night. Uh, how do you differentiate being tempted and being tested? Not easy. Um, because I take it, whatever the situation you find yourself in, um, it can either be a temptation that trips you up or a test that builds you up. And so, if you like, God and, and Satan can use the one event with two very different uh, outcomes desired. Satan is the tempter who wants to trip us up in our faith and lead us into sin, whereas God, potentially even using exactly the same situation, is actually trying to test us to build us up so that we can grow in faith. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me, last year we were preaching our way through Matthew's Gospel, and um, Matthew records the temptation of Jesus, doesn't yes. it? And it? It talks about the tempter, the, the devil coming to mm, him, mm. Um, obviously wanting him to fall. Um, he's got a purpose to, to trip him up. Yep. Um, God obviously has a purpose there to kind of um, show his son as being the, the, the perfect Adam who, who obeys at every point, and it's the same event, different intention in the one event. Yeah, God intended it for good, even if Satan intended it for evil. Yeah, which is Genesis 50. I mean, that's the, the that brings in a third will of the humans, uh, the Joseph's brothers in Genesis 50 intending it for good, but perhaps doing the devil's bidding at that point. So, yeah, there's, there's just... yeah. So it's possible to have one event with different intentions from different sides, and that's perhaps the way that we think through our own... So if you're in a situation where you're sinning, how do you, how do you think about that? Oh, sorry, not where you're sinning, but where there's a... A possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you kind of work out whether it becomes a temptation or a test? Yeah. And it's obviously the way you respond. Uh, so, for example, if I am uh, tempted to sin sexually, for example, perhaps I'm, I'm tempted to look at something that's sexually stimulating. Um, at that point, I have a choice. It's, it's kind of a testing moment. Uh, either I'll fall for that temptation and yield to it and sin, and that'll trip me up. Or I can uh, ask God to lead me not into temptation, uh, part of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, don't go there. And then that becomes a test that I pass. And that actually builds up spiritual muscle, uh, builds me up in the faith and builds actually resistance so that the next time I'm in that situation, 
again, I'm, I'm less likely to be tempted and fall. I'm mm. more likely to stand uh, in obedience, sometimes radical obedience, mm. as we talked about last night, yesterday, um, and actually uh, grow through that. Yeah, and I mean, it, and we always have the promise when a temptation comes um, no, that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. And whenever you're tempted, God will provide a, a way out so that you can stand up under it. Which is awesome. 1, 1 Corinthians 10, isn't it? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10. Um, I was just trying to put 13, there. 13, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, what a, what a great promise. Um, you know, first God invites us to pray, lead us not into temptation, which is a, just a brilliant thing to pray. Mm. Um, but that great promise in 1 Corinthians 10 that whatever the temptation, whatever the test, um, you can get through it. Um, with flying colours because yeah. God's not going to give you more than you can handle yep. um, and God will provide a way out. Yeah, that's right. And so we want to see those moments as tests, almost as opportunities to, to honour and obey God. And maybe if you're doing it tough at the moment with, with a particular sin or mm. temptation that is sort of just looming over your world at the moment, we, we want to sort of say, actually, it's an opportunity for you to, to obey God. It might be hard, difficult, yes, yes. Um, not easy, but sometimes I think we fall into the trap of thinking, well, I've got no option here but to uh, sin. And that's actually not the case. You, absolutely you, not. Yeah, you, you can obey and God will, as we heard last night, will actually give you everything you need to... The Lord to, will provide. Will provide for you through the test. Yeah, yeah. And even if that's a, a way out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, in, into the, the, the particular test that we were focused on in Genesis 22... Um, the, the, the test is for Abraham and it is to, to sacrifice his, his son, the, the child of the promise. Yep. What about how Isaac's feeling about that? If I mean, Abraham, we, we heard of his remarkable faith, his trust in God's promise that even if God kills this kid, uh, he'll receive him back from the dead, mm. uh, which is quite remarkable faith. But, but <laughs> what about how, Isaac? That's a, that's a pretty tough experience for Isaac to go through. Um is he in on the promise? Does he know uh, that God is going to save him or, or raise him from the dead? Yeah, there's so much we don't know about Isaac. I mean, we just want to psychoanalyze the kid, don't we? You know, like, did he did he have post-traumatic stress after this? Um, did he ring docs or fax and report his dad? You yeah. know, um, so much we want to know. What were the emotional scars? Um, did he ever forgive his father? Was he angry with, his, with Abraham? We, yeah. we just don't know. Yeah. Um, the story focuses very much on Abraham, and it's his test. And so we don't know exactly what Isaac knew. Of course, Isaac asked the question, where's the, the sacrifice? Um, Abraham gives him the answer, the Lord will provide. But how much more did Abraham tell Isaac, um, did Isaac know this was a test? Um, sadly, we don't know, and we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to ask yeah. Isaac. I mean, all we do know is that Isaac continues to walk as the child of the promise and continues to walk with God. Um, yeah, yeah he, he is the, the blessed kid who uh, through whom God continues to um, bless the whole world. And so, yeah, he's, he's important, um, but we just don't know... Yeah, what was going on inside his brain. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, I've got a couple of questions here, Mike, about just God's nature, um, and particularly one around the angel of the Lord, who's been a bit of a pivotal character um, yeah. in this little story. Um, huge kind of character in the, in the whole Bible, really. Um, the question is basically, angel of the Lord, is that God or not God? <laughs> yeah, good question. And I don't know the answer, to be totally honest. What, what do we know? Um, the angel of the Lord appears at pretty important times, uh, both times of judgment. If you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
uh, but also signs of uh, at times of salvation or rescue or provision, like in Genesis 22. And um, he speaks as a messenger of the Lord. That's what angel means, messenger. Um, and sometimes he kind of declares what the Lord says. Sometimes he just kind of speaks almost uh, from himself, but as but as if it's the words of God. Mm. Um, and so it's a bit of a mystery exactly who he is and, and how he fits in with God. Uh, some people go down the line that the angel of the Lord is actually Jesus. And you can understand how that kind of works because the angel is kind of seems to be both God but separate from God. Yeah. And, and we know something of the mystery of the Trinity that yeah. Jesus is God but distinct from God yeah. as the second person of the Godhead. And so you can kind of explore, is this Jesus? I'm just not 100% convinced that we've got enough evidence to draw that conclusion that it is Jesus. Uh, I think I'm happier to say he's called the angel of the Lord. He's not yeah. called kind of the second person of the Trinity or, or pre-incarnate Jesus. Yes. He's called the angel of the Lord. Yes. And so I want to treat him as that, as a character who's unique. Yeah. Um, and yet his proximity to proximity to God is so close that I can understand why we want to kind of blur the categories a little bit. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, th- that's right. And, and it's, it is tricky because sometimes, you know, we, we were looking at some references to Burning Bush. Um, there's a bit in, in Hosea chapter 12 where it, it certainly feels like, yeah, the, the angel of the Lord is, is so close to God that he's almost God. And you, so you can yes. see that, yeah, to, to have a neat theological system, it's Jesus. Yeah, right. Um, the, the, but the scripture doesn't ever quite get that far and we don't want to say more than what scripture says yeah and and we like neat like i like neat but yeah yeah, the old testament and and scripture doesn't always let us go there yeah 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 um okay um sticking with god's nature one of the things you mentioned in your in your sermon yesterday mike was about uh when when jesus was sacrificed there was a sense in which he trusted god um now Questions come in. How can Jesus trust God if they're both God? Yeah, um, takes us into the very nature of the Trinity, doesn't it? Uh, that there is one God, three persons. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, all equally God. Uh, Jesus is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God completely equal and yet there is an order within the trinity now how equality and order fits together um, we find that hard but actually it's a really important aspect of the trinity and so god the father sends the son jesus and jesus the son always does the will of the father Mm. Um, and so in doing the will of the father jesus has to trust the father And you see this most clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, having his whole life's purpose to go to the cross, having resolutely set his sights to Jerusalem, gets to the night before the cross and um, uh, almost seems to balk, (laughs) which is extraordinary, isn't it? Um, And so he asks the Father, is there any other way? seeing the enormity of the task that's ahead of him of carrying the sins of the world on his shoulders is there another way and God says no (laughs) and Jesus at that point I guess has a choice does he trust his father or not 
And of, thought, of course, he trusts God and goes to the cross and we are saved as a result. Mm. And so, yeah, equality in the Godhead, Jesus is God, God the Father is God, God the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there's an order by which the Father sends the Son and the Son trusts and obeys the Father. Mm. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so if you want to go read that story, you can chase it up in... Luke 22, um, yeah, it's, is it in, um, it's in Matthew's Gospel as well? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, yeah but yeah, that, that Garden of Gethsemane on the, on the Mount, Mount of Olives, you'll, you'll, um, if you want to go and read that account of Jesus trusting his Father. Okay, um, we'll push on. Um, probably the big question that came, uh, came in um, from yesterday, Mike, uh, I've got it in six or seven different ways, <laughs> uh, was all around what seems to be the conditional nature of this blessing mm. that is stated here. Um, uh, let me let me give you a couple of the versions of this question. Um, aren't the promises in Genesis 12 unconditional? So why do they become conditional on Abraham's obedience in chapter 2? Or it sounded like you said that because Abraham passed the test, then we are blessed. Wasn't the promise for blessing unconditional? and therefore not reliant on Abraham passing the test with Isaac. Um, I can read that out seven, seven <laughs> other different right. ways, but that's the nature of the question that's yep. coming in, and it's the, the, the part of this text that we're wrestling with. So yeah, fair. How, how do we think about this? Okay, let, let's, uh, let's think about what we know. Genesis 12, God promises to Abraham that I'm going to bless you and bless the world through you. Uh, and in a sense, Abraham... Is not uh, required to do anything. Okay, uh, although he is told to go, isn't he? Which he does. Uh, Genesis fifteen. Uh, those promises are turned into a covenant. God cuts the covenant. God walks through the the uh, the, the animals, uh, symbolizing the fact that God is going to keep this covenant unto death. If mm. this covenant doesn't work, God is holding himself to blame. And we made the point back there, it's a, a unilateral covenant, that is one party is going to keep the whole thing rather than a bilateral covenant where everyone's got their part to play. It's, a, it's, it's just God down the centre of the, the, That's it. the animals. Abraham's just watching, he doesn't have to go down. Yeah. Uh, the covenant's restated in, in chapter 17 with the sign of the covenant that Abraham has to have, which is the sign of circumcision. Um. And then you get to Genesis 22 with this whole test, and in light of the fact that Abraham passes the test, uh, God says, and he swears by himself, that because Abraham did not withhold his son, God will surely bless Mm. and bless the world through him, because Abraham obeyed. And so what is it? Is it God's going to do it no matter what, or is it God only does it conditionally if Abraham has obeyed and it's tricky (laughs) it's tricky Um, and perhaps within Genesis itself we can't um, work it all out but I think in light of all of scripture the complete revelation of God um, we can work these things out and so uh, blessing covenant promises it all initiates with god it all initiated with god he's the one that makes the first move he yep. takes the first step yep. um it, it originates with god okay um and god does all the hard work um ultimately in providing the lord jesus 
um, the Lord provides. Right? Um, and God uh, gives these blessings, in a sense, unconditionally, in that he's done it all, and um, he just calls us to respond. Now, is that respond conditional? Well, I guess you could say it's conditional. It, it kind of is, at, at least in the way it's presented in, in some of the covenants. So, I mean, you think of the, the, the promise made at Exodus. Um, God says, if you obey me, Exodus 19.5, yes, if yes. you obey me and keep my covenant, yep. you will be for me a, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, people belonging to God. Yep. Um, interestingly, though, that he's, he's already made them that. He's already saved them, already done, done the Exodus. They're, they're actually already that. And God says, if you obey, you'll be this. But they've, they've already become that. Yeah. Deuteronomy is the same. Deuteronomy 28. Uh, it's a common pattern at covenant moments where God, God's actually already done the hard work of salvation and then says, now if you obey me. Yeah, yeah. You'll two, 2 Samuel 7, a bit similar, isn't it? Uh, we, we, with uh, God's going to establish an, an eternal kingdom, eternal house through yep. David. Yep. Um, God's done all the hard work. He's made it kind of happen, and but Solomon still has to kind of continue. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important to realize that God does all the hard work, um, but he does call for a response. Hmm. Um, now, the question is, how does that response fit in with God having already done the hard work? Um, and that's really our question from Genesis. You know, how, how conditional, how conditional, yeah. if you like, was it on Abraham? And there's a, there's a wrong way of thinking that you can fall into here, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, but you can go down the path of, well, saved by grace, but stay in by works. Um, and there's a version of the gospel that sort of argues that kind of thing. Look, you, you, you're in, you start by grace, but you carry on by works. And if you yeah disobey then you're out kind of thing um yeah and that's not quite the that's gospel, not the gospel it? at all no <laughs> that's not all no we are we are saved by grace and and even that's a gift from god okay so how do we unpick this yeah. seeming difficulty or contradiction contradiction yeah yeah uh, for me, there's a really helpful verse, a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 2, which I think um, helps us wrestle with this issue, right? Uh, where Paul says, uh, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Mm. So, Christians are to continue continue in faith, continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, you could say that's kind of a condition, couldn't uh, you? Yeah. Um, we're saved by grace. Jesus died for us. God's done all the hard work. He initiated. But you need to continue. Yeah, God puts the requirement on us. Continue. Okay, there, there's a condition. Uh, however, we are to do that in light of the fact that, verse 13 of Philippians 2, God works in you. And so we're to work out our salvation knowing that God works salvation in us. In other words, God is going to continue to provide, even to the point of providing what we have to do, mm. i.e. work out our salvation, um, so that we can meet, if you like, the conditions of the covenant. Yeah. And maybe that's how Abraham pulled it off in Genesis 22. I mean, we're not told this in Genesis 22, but again, if we kind of read big picture, mm. how in the world did Abraham get to a point where he could bind his own son and be prepared to sacrifice him? Was it that God was already working in him? Yeah. God provided the test, but God provided also the inner faith that Abraham had 
that he would dare risk yeah. such a radical obedience to God. And so would it be fair to say that in the new covenant, the, the, the two conditions, if you like, are repent and believe? And in both of them, God meets it. Absolutely. Um, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, um, you're saved by faith, you're trusting God, but this yeah. faith is yeah. not gift. of yourselves, it's the gift, gift of God, God. not yeah. by works of the knowledge. Yeah. God gives you the faith, and then yeah. actually Philippians 2, yeah. um, God also gives you the repentance and the ability to keep going and putting sin to death, because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So he... he puts the condition out but then actually graciously gives you everything that you need to meet it yeah i mean it's it kind of does mess with your brain a little bit doesn't it and this always <laughs> seems to come back to questions of the sovereignty of god and human responsibility doesn't mm. it um there is a sense in which uh, our salvation is conditional and yet because god is sovereign we know that god himself actually equips us mm. to do what he asks us to do yeah which is a great blessing because yeah. on ourselves, yeah, we probably wouldn't. We wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> not and that's the nature of the grace of God. He He knows that we're not up to the task, and that's mm. the whole message of the gospel, isn't it? Yeah, we can't keep His law, we can't obey Him, and yet He gives us everything that we need in order to meet the righteous requirements of the law in us. So we made the point from Genesis twenty-two that uh, really Genesis twenty-two is our story because. Um, our blessing was really on a knife's edge. Was a little phrase I used last yesterday. Um, that if Abraham didn't pass the test, we wouldn't be blessed. Mm. Now, that's right. But on the other hand, of course, God mm. knew the outcome. Yeah. Of course, God knew what he was doing. Of course, God knew. Now, that doesn't, say, that doesn't mean it wasn't a real test for Abraham. It was. Mm. And yet, God knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knew what was going to happen. And so, in that sense, yeah, it was never in doubt. Okay. All right. All right, a couple to go. We'll try and move a little quicker here. Um, a couple of questions about Ishmael. Um, Isaac is called your only son, but yeah. we just last week we were talking <laughs> about Ishmael. What, what's happened to him? Are we supposed to forget about him? Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? That God calls Isaac the one and only son. Now, God hasn't got a bad memory. He doesn't forget <laughs> like I do. Um, you forget your sons? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> That's right. Um, Within the narrative of Genesis 22, God's making the point that Abraham, uh, that Isaac is the son in view and um, uh, that Isaac is the son of the promise. And so from the promise point of view, from the covenant point of view, Isaac is the only son that actually matters. Mm. Now that sounds a bit harsh to poor old Ishmael, but of course God provides very graciously for Ishmael in, in the wilderness and and his tribes go on and he's blessed and, and we're going to see Isaac, uh, Ishmael come up again in, in uh, Genesis 25. Mm. So God hasn't completely forgotten about him. He's been very gracious to him. And yet Isaac is the focus. Mm. And so God says he's the only son that really kind of matters at this time. It's a little bit in that the son language is often caught up with heir language and inheritance language, isn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be Isaac who um, inherits the blessing, the promise, not Ishmael. And that's been pretty clearly stated already, hasn't it? So from that perspective, yeah. he's really the only only game in town, Isaac, because he is the inheritor of the blessing. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, all right, a couple of questions around the, 
the the allusions to the cross in this really helpful mm. things mm. brought out for us yesterday um, in terms of the similarities and, and, yeah. the, and also some of the differences around yep. kind of the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus. Um, one that a couple of people texted in about was um, there seems to be a mention in um, verse four of, of Genesis chapter twenty-two that, that this sort of happens on the third day. Yeah, um, is that significant? Jesus rose on the third day. It feels like a nice little allusion. Is that is that should we be noticing that, or are we reading too much in there? Uh, no, I think that's legit. I, I reckon, and I did kind of allude to it last uh, uh, last night yesterday um, that on the third day was kind of the day that uh, Abraham got his son back from the de- dead and of course Jesus comes back on the third day yeah I reckon there's something in there yeah. um, to, to point us forward to Jesus okay yeah right yeah very good um, uh, one of the passages you took us to last night was uh, in the New Testament was Mark chapter 10 verses 29 and 30 um, where there's this sort of promise from Jesus to his disciples who his disciples have just said Jesus we've given up everything for you uh, and he says, you know, rest assured, anyone who's given up, you know, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, or fields or vineyards for, for mm. my sake and for the gospel, they won't fail to receive a um, hundred times much in this life and in the, uh, with persecutions <laughs> yes, and don't forget in that. the life to come, eternal life. Yeah. Um, now, does, is that saying, you, you focused a little bit on the um, receiving in this life uh, mm. last yesterday mm. um, is that saying that that sort of self-sacrifice is a get rich quick scheme yeah a hundred times as much absolutely sounds you, good you, you give that's a good return you give God one dollar you'll get a hundred back that's exactly what no um, I don't think that is what it means it's interesting we we can sometimes read these passages very individualistically that um, uh, you know if I give up certain something then I will get that back Mm. Um, exactly, kind of one for one or a hundred one for, for one. Give a thousand dollars to church <laughs> yeah, and God will yeah. bless you with hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Now, I think that reflects a little bit our kind of Western individualism. Um, that kind of says my stuff is my stuff, and if I give it away, God will give it back to me in a certain way. Mm. I wonder if a better way to think about it is is more corporately than individually. When you become a Christian, you become part of God's family, the, the body of Christ, the church. Mm. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, and we're supposed to do life together. And we're supposed to be generous. And we're supposed to be hospitable and sharing and all those kind of great things you get you get lovely pictures of that in, in Acts in the early church Acts chapter 2 where where they kind of uh, sold everything had everything in common no one was in need I mean that, that's a beautiful picture of how you can kind of give stuff away and yet still get so much back yeah and, and I take it that's that's more likely how Mark chapter 10 works that um, as I as I give up stuff to be part of God's family, God's kingdom, God's people, um, I actually get the blessing of being included in the family and sharing what the family has. And so God can provide more brothers and sisters, more parents, more um, uh, just provide more as I am part of something bigger than myself yeah and, and for the disciple in Jesus day they'd be thinking if I sort of walk away from my my family potentially to follow Jesus 
I might lose my family and my land and all the things that give me provision. How, yeah, how on earth am I going to be okay? And Jesus is saying, well, you actually, if that happens, uh, it doesn't always happen, but if, if that were to happen, um, you actually get uh, access to a new family who have hundreds of farms and you've got new brothers and new sisters and, um, yeah, there is a real provision in this life. Um, and I mean, I've experienced that personally all, all sorts of times when I've been in need. Um, if, if I were not a Christian, I would need to pay for some of those things. But there's a beauty of being part of church is that you have access to people saying, let, let me share that with you. Let me give you that mm. thing. And, it's, and that's the picture of the, the early church in, um, in the book of Acts. That, yep. You know, yep. everyone shared what they had and there was, there, there was no need because they just shared the things that they had and that's that's the you don't necessarily own it in a western individualistic yeah, sense yeah, yeah. and yet you have it is yours to use because people generously share and and you if you have stuff are able to generously share what you've got with others and, and you know i can testify personally just god's provision through his family through the church uh, to me and my family has been extraordinary um i mean not just that we've been able to be at church um, at st paul's for uh, 17 years on staff and and, and and the church has provided spectacularly for me and my family um, but you know the, the friendships, the extended family the, the fact that we um, do life with so many people mm. uh, I can just see how God has been very kind and, and rich to us in providing yeah. um, parents, families um, financially um, God has been very kind to us yeah absolutely yeah. Okay, last one. Uh, we'll try and wrap it up here. Um, you mentioned yesterday, Mike, that um, sometimes we need to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. And you talked about our money and you talked about our time. And our, mm. uh, One of the things you mentioned through there was, was singleness, that actually for preaching the gospel, um, singleness may often be a better choice. Um, now, is that, uh, are you and were you saying that it is, it is just preferable to remain single rather than to be married. Is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, so I have 1 Corinthians 7 in mind uh, where the Apostle Paul says um, that uh, in some situations, in some circumstances, uh, it is better to remain single so that you can be undivided in your, um, your efforts to preach the gospel. Mm. And so in that sense, yes, singleness is better However, 1 Corinthians has another better. For Paul also says, um, it may be better not to be single, but actually to be married, if that's going to help you with your godliness Mm. and your sexual purity. And so the tension of 1 Corinthians 7 is there are two betters. (laughs) Now, that doesn't work with us logically, does it? How can you have two betters? But... Yeah, there's different circumstances which will um, dictate which is better. And so, yes, for some, singleness will be better for the sake of the gospel. And we want to acknowledge that if someone chooses that, that, that is kind of risky, radical obedience. Like there, there is a real cost of sacrifice to that because you do miss out on something that is good. Um, but for other people, what will be better is actually to be married. That's actually going to be... Um, better for you and and even for the church and even for the cause of the gospel if we remain sexually pure. Mm. So we need to hear both those better. So it's 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm. And 1 Corinthians 7 uh, verse 
uh, 38, uh, he who does not marry her does better. So, so we need to hear both of those. Yep. Um, and sometimes what can happen when you've got only one of those is that we, we fall in the trap of just ha- having half the picture. And so you, and, and often you, you get these little swings back and forward. Um, marriage, 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 marriage. Um, and, and everyone should get married. And that's the Christian godly thing to do. Yep. Um, that's only half the story. Absolutely. Uh, what happens then is people go, ah, oh, you've got an idol of marriage. Uh, no, 1 Corinthians 7 says it's better to be single. And you go, single, 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 single for the gospel. And uh, yeah, and what can happen is we flip-flop between these two positions just only hearing half the text both times. Whereas both are presented as better from a different point of view. Absolutely. And so for each individual, we need to think through what, what are the issues in my life when you seek counsel and wisdom on that. Um, yeah, is the issue of, of sexual purity such that I should seek a wife or a husband um, and, and that better? Or, or is the um, cause of the gospel such that, that for me it would be better to... And we've got to weigh those up and make a choice for ourselves. Yeah, and look... the. It's obviously a massive, massive uh, issue for mm. us, um, particularly kind of at, at night church, I guess, for, for people in that kind of stage, age of uh, kind of making that ch- this decision. Yeah. And it's a hard decision to make, and yes. it does require wisdom, and it does require counsel. Yes. And if you're someone who's just kind of wrestling with this issue for yourself personally, um, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Um, and it'd be good for you to, to seek out a, a, an older, wiser Christian that you trust. Yes. Um, who can help you with this decision because it's a big one. That's right. And you don't just want to roll into either of those. You don't just want to get married because everyone's getting married and no. it's the done thing. That's a that's a dumb reason to get married. Yes. Um, nor do you uh, want to think that marriage is always bad and everyone who gets married is wrong because they haven't heard that singleness is better for the gospel. We, Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we want to make genuine, radical discipleship decisions that our marriages would be for the cause of the gospel and for the good of others and our singleness would be for the cause of the gospel and the good of others and in both situations we'd be trying to be pure and godly with our sexuality Amen well yeah. said good uh, we'll leave it there for today and the questions uh, very quickly Mike um, it's our last time in Genesis oh, this coming sad. Sunday that's night <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's been brilliant um, so good to get into this little story of Abraham um, where, where are we finishing up where does the story leave us yeah so Genesis 23 24 25 so we're doing a really big chunk yeah um, but it's also baptism Sunday and so uh, the, the tension for Jack and I, as the preachers, is um, we, we probably want to do a pretty light touch of Genesis 23 to 25, mm. um, just so uh, the sermon is accessible to um, uh, everyone who's going to come on Sunday, particularly those who are coming to support those who are getting baptized. And, and yeah. we're hoping there'll be lots of uh, non-believers there. Yeah. Um, and so we, we kind of want to, um, not quite dumb it down, but we, we do want to skate over it. And I think where we're going to try and land is uh, actually Hebrews 11 talks about uh, Abraham dying, which is what happens in Genesis 25, spoiler alert, um, dying still believing in the promises. And so Abraham receives a lot, and yet he doesn't receive all the promise. And so uh, we're a little bit like Abraham in that, that we've received some of the promises of God, some of the blessings and yet we um, we still long for more, mm. um, and so we're, we're going to try and set our hearts and minds on the future blessings that are to come. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a great Sunday. I mean, aside from Genesis, which is going to be excellent to wrap up. Um, yeah, it is Baptism Sunday, and uh, yeah, almost a dozen people getting baptized across the day at various services, and so really encourage you to be there and encourage and pray for those um, brothers and sisters who are 
yeah, get them baptized and pray for their friends and family yeah. who inevitably come along to these kinds of services and, yep. and maybe even be on the lookout um, if, if, if you're there on Sunday oh, just yeah. to say good day to a friend or a family member, someone you don't know, make them feel welcome and loved in our in our church because there's a good chance a, a bunch of them won't yet know Jesus and that's a it's a cool opportunity we've got to just say, hey, welcome, who, who are you? <laughs> want to want to make you feel welcome here. Yeah, terrific. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for all your work in Genesis. And uh, we will see you guys at church on Sunday. Have a great week. Bye.